Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Again, has to be careful of the speed. What a comeback season for Hal Sutton. Come right back toward the hole. Seventeen years later, Hal Sutton is the Players' Champion. everybody welcome to another be the right club today podcast what's happening Hal? uh excited about our finish line here yeah we can start to breathe a, a little bit of a, a sigh of breath from you know all the all the work that's been going in adding adding in basically four new sims and some some new putt putt view the new putting technology out there and it's, it's exciting times it is uh you know i'm always interested in more technology and see where it takes us you know i've fought this game hard my whole life and i did it just with you know hitting a lot of golf balls i always used to tell my dad i was a blue collar worker and yep. he said how do you define yourself as a blue collar worker and i said i wish i could find somebody to hit all these golf balls <laughs> and do all the sweating that i'm having to do right. but i had to do it you know and it's a perfect segue into some of the stuff you talked about with our our next guest, Monty Scheinbloom of of Rebellion Golf. Uh, Monty's a longtime friend of mine. You know, you've you've known Monty for five, four or five years now. We've done between the three of us, we've done four or five golf schools together. I think so, yeah. Um, Monty and I have done eight to ten, I believe. Um, great instructor. He was a World Long Drive champion in '92. Um, played on the Corn Ferry Tour, so he was a he was a very skilled player and has morphed into one of the one of the best instructors in, in SoCal and, and really around the country, around the world. Um, he's he's got a a common sense approach to to the game, which I and to to golf instruction, which I like. It's easy to get lost in the data and in the technology if we're not yeah. careful. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear what he has to say. I am too. You know, he's uh, he's sometimes simple in his approach, which I think is really good and uh he's a deep thinker but it comes out pretty simple yeah he's really smart yeah um, he's he is a deep thinker very intelligent that you know he tries to simplify it to a to a point to make it easier for his players to understand and i, I we always love that that yeah. approach y'all enjoy our next guest on the be the right club today podcast is a, is a good friend of of how and i's we've done probably seven or eight golf schools together um with monty uh, monty's a, a great golf instructor out in southern california um he's been helping players from all over the world with his online videos with his youtube series um online lessons um, and in-person lessons um, he was the 1992 world long drive champion um unfortunately doesn't hit it quite that far anymore but still hits it Still hits it pretty far. I got a little smile there, um, but uh, but no, Monty's a good friend. He's um, he's been a uh, a friend and 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 colleague and mentor of mine for a while, and uh, we've known each other for ten or twelve years now. And and he's um, he's been a good set of eyes to back up some of 
some of my students as, as we've got to know each other better through the years. And uh, great instructor, great friend, Monty, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. What's happening? Oh, I'm happy to be here. Um, got me out of bed early this morning on the West Coast. Um, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate everything you said. Uh, th this has been uh, a, a really, really fun time, all the, all the nerd, nerd discussions we've had about the swing in the past. So, Monty. Yes. I'm going to throw a question at you to begin with. Welcome to the show. But uh, as a former long drive champion, 1992, how do you think we teach people to hit it further? See, there's a huge mis misnomer out there. It's, you know, swing A is about accuracy and swing B is about hitting it farther. And which one, which one do you want to pursue? And it's been my experience that when you improve the golf swing correctly, you get both. And that's, to, to me, that's what um, uh, a proper change should involve. You shouldn't hit it straighter. You shouldn't hit it farther when you make a change. You should get an equal proportion of both. You know, it's, in, it's interesting. So I saw some stats from Bryson the other, other day, and he's hitting just about the same amount of fairways that he was hitting when he was, you know, 20 or 30 yards shorter. And would you say that, you know, the work that him and, him and Chris Como have done, you know, obviously he's, he's pushing the envelopes of, of the speed stuff, but he's, moving at it in a way where he can he can improve or or uh keep the accuracy pretty similar while he also pursues distance see this you know a lot of the things i say are are controversial and actually make some people mad and it is what it is i thought his original swing that he came on tour with was a little bit forced and contrived and you know that that forced perfect one plane action that he had. Um, and obviously he was really good with it, but now, you know, his swing that he built for speed, so to speak, I think is more um, natural and free flowing and, and, you know, reactive versus forcing himself into that one plane pigeonhole. How, what are your thoughts on it? You know, you were in today's age and, and needed to pursue, you know, you thought you needed, you know, the stats showed if you could pick up another 10 or 12 yards in distance, you know, how would, again, you grew up in an era where distance wasn't, wasn't always key. Accuracy was more important. You know, how, how would you go about in your mind, how would you go about pursuing that? Well, well, if I were, if, ahead, when I look back at my, my swing from, the mid nineties when, you know, I was doing pretty well on what's now called the corn Ferry tour. My biggest issue that was forcing me into wild wildness off the tee actually would have made me hit it farther as well. Had I, I gotten that. And my big problem was, is I would, I was taught to pull down to get lag and I got a bunch of lead wrist extension and you know, that would make me hit it crooked Whereas if I would have gotten a little bit more, you know, of this move going down, um, even today, you know, when I get this, this move right, I actually pick up a few miles an hour on top of hitting it straighter. So it, it goes back to my, 
Yeah, it goes back to my original point where if you make a change, you'll get both. Al, your thoughts? Uh, if I were going to go back and try to get distance with what I know now, uh, I would get my equipment to fit me perfectly. Uh, I would try to have a little of the wrist action that Monty was talking about. I'd be more in tune with that. Uh, to me, I found it really hard to force things in golf. And uh, every time I started trying to force something, I got worse. And, uh, I mean, you have a direction that you want to seek, and you make little advances in trying to do that, and then one day you realize I'm there. Instead of, boom, I'm there, you know, because I forced something. And uh, I've always thought you sneak up on things in golf. You know, you don't just bust the door down. And, you know, I think learning how to get better, you know, as people come in here, you know, it's a journey. We talk about the journey that it is. You know, it's not something that I'm going to give you this magic pixie dust that's going to make you better. This is going to be a long-term goal uh, that we've identified some things you need to get better. And like Monty says, we hope they'll add to your accuracy and your distance if we do this right. Do you got you know we all work with with really good players. Um, you know you take the the guy trying to chase mini tour life, PJ tour life, corn fairy life. Um, is is the speed training stuff? Is it an all year thing? Is it something that has to be done or needs to be done more in the off season? I I don't think that speed training is is a, an and or thing i think it goes together with improving your 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 mechanics I, i've got no problem with it in a proper balance um getting back to Hal's point he made a really really excellent point there is one of the biggest you know everybody always complains you know i can't get better because i'm not flexible enough my core is not strong enough i'm overweight i'm old whatever whatever um i'm not that skilled those things are not the things that get in people's way. The, oh, I hit that one thin. Oh, this feels weird. You know, when people make it, just to make that point, that to me, that's the biggest hindrance to, to people getting better and hitting it farther is they expect if they do something right, they're going to hit a tour level one yard draw on the next swing and that, you know, it's going to feel correct. Well, if you're doing it wrong to start with, correct is going to feel strange. So the, 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 the dialogue where this feels weird, ooh, I chunked that one, ooh, I pushed that one, to me, that, that dialogue and that mentality of I'm not supposed to hit any bad shots. Hal said maybe this, you know, one of the greatest things I've ever heard is golfers need to give themselves permission to hit bad shots in order to improve and they don't. And I'm sure you guys face this every day. You got a guy who walks into your, your Academy with a 30 yard slice, you make a change in his swing and now it's a 15 yard slice and you're like, excellent job, my friend. And they're like, yeah, but it's still slicing. And you know, that, that last minute of rant that I had there to me, 
is the single biggest reason why golfers don't get better. They can't get past that, that need to hit everything perfectly right away. Oh, well, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, everybody that we teach is no better than their last shot, so to speak. And, you know, they're evaluating each and every shot from the results that it has rendered. And I really believe that, you know, we can't judge on the last shot, good or bad, to be honest with you. And this is, this is I'm going to say it again, it's a journey, and we'll end up there one day. If you're working at it hard enough and you have the right knowledge to, to help yourself get better. Uh, you know, one of the things that's a pet peeve of mine is, and this is rampant in, in the youth world today is that it's always somebody else's responsibility. If I put on enough people, if I've got enough teachers or I got a psychologist or whatever else, then that takes less responsibility off of me. You know, in our world, it was just the caddy. So we couldn't hire our way into no responsibility. And I think that's a really good point there. When you come in to get information, you've chosen who you think can give you good information. Go in there knowing that you have to do the work. He's going to give you some information, but the responsibility of improvement is still on you. That's pretty strong there. Um, I'll talk about a little bit with tour players. You know, there you guys were playing for your livelihood. Um, how did you guys not get to where? Because I, I, we talk about the time you guys did a better job than than I did at the level I made it to, as far as not being too result oriented. But again, your your results were how you ate and put food on the table. So how did you guys balance that out? Well, that's you know that was a learned skill. None of us went out there with the uh, the knowledge of how to do that. Uh, you know, I. I could feel it coming on every time I'd get better and I could expect better results. I felt it before I saw it. And I hope everybody hears what I just said. I felt it before I saw it. Now I was closer to doing it really well than the average person. So, you know, I was pretty in tune with what I was feeling at the time, but sometimes, and that goes back to the point I made earlier. Sometimes you cannot base the result of the last shot on whether you're making any progress or not. And I mean, uh, I could feel things happening. I could feel that I was on top of the shot. I could feel that I was compressing the ball. I could feel that I was launching it at a similar launch angle all the time. And, uh, you know, those things led to me expecting better results. But, you know, I, I basically I learned how to feel my way into accepting it instead of watching my way into accepting it. Monty, real quick, it's it's I've one of the the ranch you go on that I've I've stole from you in some of the schools that we've done is you know put put ten or twelve balls down and talk about how people practice and they go to the range and they hit one and they pulled it and they make an adjustment and they push it oh I got to keep their head still and then they hit it thin and they got to do this and then they got to do this and then they got to do this and what's fascinating to me and to Hal's point just now is when a good player comes in and they're saying, man, something's off with my swing, something's off with my swing, and you make a quick change, and they're like, oh, my gosh, that feels better. And they'll look on the screen and see it turning over a little bit. And they're like, I, I'll, I'll worry about that later. This feels right. I'll figure it out. And I think to Hal's point, that's, that's exactly what we're trying to, trying to accomplish with all these guys. Um, did you fall victim to the results-oriented? I mean, again, you, 
not not too bad. I mean, even when you were you were at your your highest level in the corn fairy era, I mean, you know, I know you pretty well, and we talked about the the volatility that you had from a mental standpoint at times. You know, did you fall? Because I know I did. I felt I was very results driven, and if I pulled one, I thought I was going to pull the next hundred, and I I really struggled with that. See, it, it, it was it was a little bit different for me. And it still uh, continues to this day. I had an issue in my swing where a block a mile to the right was imminent on every shot. And so I would fight that on a constant basis. And I would make a swing and I'd block it and I'd be like, yeah, but that's not going to happen again. Or I'd pure one down the fairway and I'd be like, oh my God. And you know, my friends playing with me are like, what's wrong with that? And I go, yeah, well, I got lucky on that one. Um, but the ball, the space ball to the right is, is right there to be had. So my, my, my issue was not that, you know, worrying about the, I could block it off the first tee and go, okay, that was a bad shot. And I could stripe it down the middle and go, oh, my God, this is going to be a rough day. So that's, you know, and, and the secondary point to that is, you know, golfers, that's very important, they understand this. Very often, when you make a proper change, you will get the opposite miss that you're used to. So I'll be giving a playing lesson with a group. And my miss is a high block to the right off the heel. And I'll hit a toe hook in the left trees and I'll go, okay, nice. And they're like, ooh, that was a bit of sarcasm. And I'm like, no, that was good. I made a proper move and the compensation that I'm used to making that hits it, you know, to, to keep it from going way right and off the heel is going to give me a little bit of a toe hook if I'm doing it right. So you know, golfers will stand up there. They don't want to miss it right. They don't want to miss it left. They don't want to chunk it. They don't want to, they don't want to thin it. They want to hit it in the, in the toe or the heel. They want to hit a one-yard draw. And if they don't do that, then something's wrong. And you have to get past that. And, you know, another one of my pet peeves that, you know, amateurs will tend to think backwards. Um, on the driving range, they'll be trying to improve their motor pattern. And they'll be like, ooh, I pushed that one. Oh, I pulled that one. When they're not focusing on ball flight, they're trying to change their movement pattern, and they're worried about the shot they just hit, as we've been discussing. Then they'll get on the course where ball flight's king and where you're trying to hit it is king, and they'll go, oh, I didn't get my right elbow in a position. Oh, I didn't get my hips open enough. And that kind of backwards thinking is, is where they get themselves in trouble. On the range, you worry about moving better on the course you worry about where the ball goes and that's really hard for for people to do yeah i mean how how and i talk about it a lot on here you know being indoors we'll turn the the screen off for the so the they can't see ball flight you know and or you know and and we do this a lot too we'll pull up one number you know, okay, we're working on path, we're working on low point, we're working on launch angle, we're working on club head speed, whatever it is, let's see if you can do it, you know, and I think golfers at home need to realize that if you're 
a heel blocker, you've developed the skill to hit to hit it off the heel and block it. You need to develop the skill to hit it a little bit more off the toe and get it to close. It's not a, oh my gosh, I'm horrible. I can only hit this shot. This is a horrible miss, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, this is what your, your brain says. This is the most comfortable way to move. You've got to develop a new comfortable and it's going to take time and you got to go slower and you got to give your, as Hal says, you got to give yourself permission to do it. It's not a I'm going to make the hill block and then just immediately hit it straight to your point. Like it is a, there's going, we're going to ebb and flow through this a little bit. How your thoughts? Well, uh, the whole time you were talking about that, what I was really thinking about was there's nobody that's one swing flaw away from greatness. It's multiple things that have to be done and you cannot attack all of them at the same time. No one, no one, let me repeat this. No one is good enough to attack everything that's wrong with this golf swing at once and make it right. So what we do is we try to pick out the first step, whatever that step is, and that's going to lead us to step two. And if everybody took that approach to getting better, I will guarantee you their journey will be shorter. Amen. we can close now. We're done. That was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's so funny. And, and I, I make people mad all of the time with that exact idea. They're, you know, I'll be giving a lesson. They're like, well, Monty, what about the flip at impact? And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry to be blunt, but you're worried about step four and you're not even getting step one right. And they'll be like, well, excuse me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't mean it that way. I, you know, you can't get the last thing right if you don't get the, I mean, you know, I, I love my goofy little analogies and, you know, you can't worry about the car not going in gear if you haven't turned it on yet. If there's something wrong with the ignition switch. And, um, and golfers, they want to see, um, they want to analyze results. My hips are stalling at impact. My club is flipping. I'm not leaning the shaft. I'm not compressing the ball. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But those things are happening because, like Hal said, the first thing is something wrong with it. And trying to fix multiple things at once is just, that's going to fail 100% of the time. And. And 99% of the time, it's earlier than most players think it is. You know, again, right. if the, if impact's off, it's something earlier. The backswing position, and, and, and again, we like to joke about, Monty and I have joked about this for years now, but we like to joke about, you know, people that say backswings don't matter. It's like, ugh. Because most of the time, if impact's off, it's a for, you know, players outside of the most elite, it ends up being a backswing thing or a takeaway thing or a grip or a setup thing. Like, it's almost always earlier than than where people see it when they're they're critiquing or feel it when they're critiquing their own swing yeah that the the backswing doesn't matter don't you don't hit it with the backswing and then they'll they'll try and make the argument by showing you miller barber or um matt wolf or and or jim furick and say see backswing doesn't matter and i'm like mm. you know how how have you evolved as an instructor? Um, you know, what are things that you, you know, you you started out, we always joke, I mean, YouTube videos and cargo shorts when, you know, you kind of started doing some research on the golf swing and just realized that a lot of this stuff, they were people were trying to make it a little too complicated and you, 
you know, you made a name for yourself early on, keeping it simple and giving people easy, quick fixes to help them help them with their golf swing. And obviously, as as we've gotten to know each other in 3D and all this stuff, like you're you're very well rounded and can and can talk the 3D lingo lingo and the and the ground force lingo. But you still kind of um, you're still kind of known as that you know kind of fix guy that can fix you fix you pretty fast. But how have you evolved? What do you look at different? Is there anything you you do differently now than if somebody would have come to come to see you ten years ago? You know, it's funny you say that. Uh, the the word that I use is fortunate. Um, I'm very fortunate that my some of my instincts were pretty good because I put some stuff up on YouTube ten or twelve years ago before I knew you know, what was actually happening. I was, it was a casual observation. Um, and then as the data started to come out in the last five or six years, I'm like, Oh, I wasn't so crazy after all. Like, like people were telling me, um, here's how I've changed. Um, my instinct in the past was to, um, just give feels say, you got to feel this. Okay. And then I evolved into, there always has to be two discussions. Discussion A, in reality, from a technical standpoint, what are we actually supposed to and trying to accomplish here? In 3D, on the pressure mat, with the wrist sensor, with the launch monitor, you know, on paper, here's what we're trying to accomplish. Then we can throw all that out the window and say, okay, we know that, let's put that aside because you can't think in those terms when you're over the ball. Now we're over the ball, now we can get into, you know, what feel you can try and produce. Because if you're just randomly throwing feels and say, oh, this works, it's not gonna work three days from now if you don't know what in reality you're trying to accomplish. So to get back to your point and your question, the data and understanding all of the numbers allows me to create a reference point. So here, this is the reality. Now, athletically, how do we get there? Kyle, thoughts? Uh, are you asking me how I've evolved? Are you asking yeah, no, me? No, I mean, just, just what, your, what your thoughts are about yeah, the because you know we talk about data and feel and all this stuff, and I mean it's kind of, kind of the journey that you know you've kind of been on as a player and kind of learning all this stuff too. Well, you know the majority of the time, uh, I, I mentioned it earlier. I, I was looking for the feel, you know, and the the interesting thing that I think is really cool for the golfers today is we've basically figured out how to define feel and and in many different ways you know if uh for instance if i one of the things that i need to fix is you know i don't have enough shaft length because of my left knee and it doesn't want to support me you know i'm kind of backing out losing shaft length but so what i'll do is i'll come in here in the morning and i'll put it just on long tank and I'll try to reduce the launch angle, and I'll look up, and I'm in a better position at impact. You know, so I've identified one thing that will help me get better and without having to work on 10 different things, and uh, I know for a fact if my launch angle is lower, 
I'm going to hit it further, and I'm going to be in a better position. I'm going to compress the ball more. So, you know, I would encourage people that if they're not using the technology that is available today, it's, I mean, technology has made everybody better teachers. You know, I, we just, Monty just confirmed that technology confirmed that he knew some things. Right, Monty? Absolutely. So why are we not using this? I mean, if you're a golfer and you have access to technology, there's not a company in the world that doesn't use data in order to get better. So why as a golfer, you are a company, especially a guy that's a, uh, wanting to, or, or a woman that's wanting to play the tour in some sort of way, he is a company. He's got to use data. He or she is a company. They've got to use data in order to get better. Bonnie, thoughts? I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and and here's, here's where the data is important is, you know, like you see something. Like, I had another instructor tell me that uh, a pretty big name one, too, that he doesn't need to see a risk graph. He, he can watch and know what's happening. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Um, and, and it, you know, what's really gratifying, and, and, and I won't lie, you know, I, I, when I get into some of the arguments on social media, you know, I lose, lose my, my, my cookies a little bit too much. But what's really gratifying is, is when you say something and then the people whose beliefs are the opposite of that come out of the woodwork. And they're like, no, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. This is really stupid. You have no idea. And then you see someone like Bryson DeChambeau say, here's the data. Here's what I'm working on. And even though it's different than what you've heard, this is why I'm hitting it farther. And then I'm over in the corner going, yee, you know, it, it, it's, it's fun when something like that happens. But like Hal said, it, 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 we know what happens in a good golf swing now. For a hundred years, it was looking at grainy still photos and trying to decipher what's going on there. And what's been proven, and this is what's hard for amateurs to get their mind around. So just to use a personal thing, is since I started teaching, I've taught, and it's been my theory, that with the risks, that the idea of forcing lag is a terrible idea and we need to throw it all away to start the downswing. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of criticism over that. And then when you see the risk graph, you're like, well, Monty, that's not exactly what's happening at the same time that you're saying it. But then when it's measured that, well, this body part is putting this force on the center of mass of the club and then this body part is putting that, you've got multiple forces acting on the club at the same time and we're just now starting to learn what those balance of forces are when golf instruction has always been about how can we apply one force to hit that one position and that has been a disaster for a hundred years you know people see that hackers cast the club and that good players you know retain the angle and so everyone's saying, well, hold the lag. That's what you're supposed to do. But in reality, you know, the force of the arms working more forward toward impact position instead of 
behind the body, which is what we've been taught the whole time. That is a big part of sustaining the angle. And the wrist action is actually unloading at the same time. And, you know, it, all of a sudden this becomes like a, wait a second, wait a second. So the arms aren't supposed to trail and you're not supposed to hold the angle, you know. And then all of a sudden these people are going, well, I've been doing this for 30 years. How do I change now? That is the hard part is for, for the average golfer and even the mini tour, corn fairy tour level golfer. They've been brought up since forever saying, restrict your hip turn, fire your hips, shift your weight, hold that angle. And they made it work. But to get to the next level, you're like, well, you kind of want your arms to link up earlier. You want those wrists to start unloading. And then you want this to unload from here to here. And they're like, huh? And that, I get it. It's hard when you've been told A and then the data says the exact opposite. That's, that's really hard for us to sell sometimes. Um, and really, really hard for the golfer to, to wrap their mind around that essentially their intent to get better has to be the opposite of what they've done since the day they picked up a club. Well, and how and I talk about this a lot, like even though, you know, a lot of those golfers back in the day were trying to hold lag forever, they really weren't. You know, we, as we've seen in 3D, the, the, the guys that are holding lag forever are still releasing it by halfway down on the downswing. You know, it's coming out sooner than we all imagined, you know, and, and it's, it's always funny, you know, how Joe can say, I don't even know how we hit it at times back, you know, like, cause we just were figuring it out with, a, with dirt and a golf ball, you know, how your, your thoughts. Uh, wouldn't you like to know what Hogan was thinking when he was working on something, the pictures, the bad video and everything probably doesn't reveal what he was actually thinking at the time. I can tell you that I worked on a hundred things and it might not have looked like I was working on it, but I, it was all based on feet, based on what I was trying to do. And so we took that and we're trying to make sense of it in some sort of way so that it helps us. I mean, I just, I don't know how we got better, to be quite honest with you, other than, you know, a work ethic that, that actually – uh, was relentless, to be honest with you. I look back, the best players, <coughs> you know, a funny story. Back uh, in the 80s, you know, Jim Colbert was on the policy board, and, and, you know, there were a bunch of guys that wanted to make more money. And, uh, you know, they were trying to figure out how to negotiate their way into making more money. And Jim Colbert stood up in the meeting one time. It was a full-player meeting at <coughs> – at, uh, Bay Hill in the locker room, and he said, you want to make more money? Meet me on the practice tee in the morning instead of trying to negotiate your way into doing it. And, you know, that is part of the world. You know, we try to negotiate our way into it. But, you know, even with technology that we have today, I cannot emphasize how hard a work it still is to get better. It's, there's no uh, plug you in. <laughs> and help you get better. And, and unfortunately it's not like we've talked about all the time. It's not just golf swing. We haven't even talked about the mindset and committing to a oh. shot and pre-shot routine and all that stuff, right? Like all that stuff 
will we'll come soon. Monty, what are two or three things that you would like to eliminate from swing thoughts or golf beliefs or, um, you know, misconceptions? We, we did a, a podcast a couple, couple weeks ago on, on golf swing misconceptions. What would be two or three misconceptions you'd like to eliminate if you were the golf czar of the world? Physical or, or, or mental? Whatever, whatever you pick. Um, the, the big one that, that, that is really hard for golfers is, is uh, the, a mental one is good shot is the result of a good swing and bad shot is the result of a bad swing. Um, you know, I'll be giving a lesson or doing a golf school and they're like, oh, no, 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 that was a bad one. And I'm like, yeah, it looks exactly the same as a good one. You just compensated differently. Um, that equation that if you do it right, it's a good shot. If you do it wrong, it's a bad shot. That, that's got to go. That really, really stunts people getting better. As far as um, swing mechanics are concerned, um, the idea of weight shift and lower body leading is, it is I mean, every single person that comes to my lesson team, I'll have to admit, the holding lag problem, people still use, oh, Monty, I'm losing lag. I still hear that sometimes, but it's not nearly as bad. I mean, that was everybody 10, 15 years ago. Got to hold lag, got to get lag, got to do that. So that one is kind of diminishing in its, in its uh, you know, importance to people, but the, the leading with the lower body, take the arms and hands out of it, fire the hips thing, that, that's, that's got to go. So all good stuff there, Monty. Yes, I agree with you 100%. So I got a question for you. Actually, it's two questions. Who's the one person you'd like to give a golf lesson to, and who's the one person you'd like to uh, take a lesson from? And why? Um, the person that I'd like to give a lesson to right now is Jimmy Walker. Um, that's kind of an obscure name, you know, but he hasn't been around for a while. He um, won the PGA Championship in 2016. And he got Lyme disease and has struggled. Obviously, he struggled physically with his Lyme disease. And, um, and his intent, you know, this is just my own personal analysis. His intent is the same, but his physical motion is different because of what the illness did to his body. And, you know, I follow him on social media and right now he is statistically the worst driver on the PGA tour. He's hitting it short and crooked, and he's struggling mightily because of it. And um, I have noticed a difference between his swing when he won the PGA and what he's doing now. And it's, again, it's not an intent difference. It's his physical body is not allowing him to make the swing he knows how to make. And, and I think I have a good solution for him that will help it. So that's, you know, that's the one I'd like to give a lesson to. Um, the person I'd most like to take a lesson from is Pete Cowan. And the reason why I say that is, is 
you hear so much good stuff about him and he's hurt. He's had so much success with, um, with players and you just don't see his ideas around that much. And I would really, really like to know how he approaches things. Awesome. Um, that, that is interesting. I was thinking about when you said Pete Count, I was like, yeah, you don't really know, you know, you don't really know exactly his, he doesn't have a big Instagram page or he doesn't have a big YouTube channel where there's, there's a lot of, a lot of info or people talking about what he's worked on. Um, unlike, unlike him, you've released a lot of stuff, um, a lot of YouTube videos and, and Instagram posts. And um, what's, what's been the most popular video you released, you've released so far? Your, it could be your favorite one. Talk about it a little bit and then what's, what's next? Um, the one that kind of, you know, made me infamous, Instagram famous, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was a it was a video that I put up uh, like 10, 12 years ago. It was p- people will always make fun of those videos. It was like, dude, you're in the park wearing cargo shorts and a T-shirt. You have no respect for the game. And I'm like, listen, I wasn't teaching at the time, and. I had a newborn son. So that's how I know how old the videos are because my son's 12. And I would, you know, I'm not going to get dressed up in khakis and a collared shirt to take my son to the sandbox. So I'd take him, I'd let him play in the sandbox and I'd set up a camera and I'd say, here's what I think. And the one that I put up was I teed the ball up on an, on a dowel rod uh, above waist high. And I said, if you were going to hit this ball, you would swing the club on the same level as the ball. And I go, and if you, th- this will get, you know, cause I was still just like everybody else into the two dimensional idea of playing, which I've kind of pushed aside, but still the, the video still holds true. If you swing a club at chest level around your body and keep the club on the same level, your wrist will set correctly. You won't roll the club to the inside. You won't lift. Your pivot will match up with your arm swing. Your arms won't overrun your body. Um, all the things that we see in amateurs having problems. If you just simply swing the club and then the club, the wrist release correctly where, where the ball would be. I mean, you don't have the idea of shifting into the, you know, down and into the left side and loading into the ground. So it's not perfect, but it just gives you the sense of allowing the arms and wrists to work correctly without all of the nonsense that, that, that people do. What, what's next? Um, I, I'm, 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 I gave a lesson about 18 months ago, and these ideas just pop into my head. And... I, I, I came up with a term, just invented it out of thin air, and I'm like, you know what? This has some merit to it. Is the way the guy was swinging, it was just a karate, you know, like club head straight to the ball. And I said, if, if there was dirt where the ball was and you were going to sweep the dirt with a broom, move the club how you would do that, and from one swing to the next, he made a perfect golf swing. And, 
you know, I mean, he went from literally a 25 handicap swing, which is what he is, to like a five handicap swing just with that one thought. And so for the rest of the lesson, I'm like, use the broom force. Okay. And so that my next video is going to be called broom force because it's catchy because people don't know what that is because marketing is everything in golf instruction now. But basically, it's going to be a video on applying speed the right way at the correct time and the maximum amount. Because most swing faults are a misapplication of speed, either incorrect direction or at the incorrect time. So that's why I have people work on movement changes, taking out seven iron and hitting a little 80 or 100 yard seven iron because they're not trying to apply speed, their bodies can make changes easier. The second you try to apply maximum speed, all your swing faults come out. So Monty, one of the things that we uh, always ask everybody that comes on here, and I hate to go back and live in the past, but if you could go back and live in the past, uh, how, what would you do different as both a player and a teacher? Um, as a player, I, I, I don't know that I could have done something different without somebody else's help. And when I look back at my swing from when I was the most successful, I kind of put my hand over and I go, you know, I made so many incorrect swing changes trying to chase perfection when I, I needed one change. I needed one change. Instead of going this way to start the downswing, I needed to go that way. And that would have completely changed the course of my career. But I didn't know anything about that at the time. So somebody who did would have had to have told me. So, Monty, um, real quick, real quick for our listeners on, on radio, explain the, explain the wrist motion just real quick. Okay, so I was taught to pull the butt of the club down, go wide to narrow, and get maximum lag. And it got my left wrist, my lead wrist extended or cupped to start the downswing. My brain knowing that was not right, I would flex or bow it in the impact, which pretty much nobody good does. And that would raise the handle and open the club face and point it to the right. And at 135 miles an hour, you don't find that golf ball. And... So I was doing the wrist motions backwards. Now we know from technology that you flex the wrist early in the downswing, and then you extend the wrist late in the downswing, and that reduces club face rotation and squares it up. Whereas I was going extended to flexed and shifting the path way to the right and raising the handle and pointing it way to the right. So, you know, that's, you know, that problem still sits with me to this day. If I go two or three weeks without hitting balls, and because of a full-time teaching schedule and being a, a single father of, of young children, me not hitting balls for two or three weeks happens often. As soon as I do that, I go right back to that move, and it takes me another week or two to start doing it right again. So that's, you know, that's a common problem for golfers. You know, pull the butt of the club down, try and get – those wrist angles correct, and then you end up with 
an extended look. You know, not everybody's Gary Woodland. Gary Woodland manages that. Nobody else can. Um, it, it's just too hard. Follow up to that question, Monty. You just talked about controlling club face when you talked about the wrist. Yes. So when you when you were really working on your golf game, were you working on club path or were you working on club face control? See, that's that's great. I was working on neither. Oh, really? No, because I didn't know that's what you were supposed to do. I was told by people who, you know, were in the know supposedly that the, my positions were wrong. And there was no, um, I mean, obviously, so, so I was once, so this is kind of, I, I won't name names, but I was on the driving range at PGA West, okay? And um, for those of you that have played there, hitting it from one end of the range to the other today is a pretty good poke. In 1993, I was maybe the only person that could do it. And I would sit there and hit it to the other end of the range and then hit one, one out of 10 into the first fairway of the Nicholas tournament course, which those of you that have been on that driving range you go, that's not possible, but I would do it. And I had a very famous and prominent teaching pro. I say, why does that happen? He goes, because your club face is open. And I'm like, well, thank you. How do I fix it? And then it was a myriad of, perfecting eight different moves to get the club in the position. And so I took him at his word, did all of those things and struggled. Whereas all it was, was, you know, the shaft was actually the advice I got was actually made it worse because it was to, you know, roll the club face with the wrists, which tipped the shaft out further. And then I had to raise it more. So that's neither here nor there, but um, to answer the question, I was chasing positions versus doing, which is what I teach now is we got to change something in the path or the face or both to get you to hit it or the low point to get you to hit it better. And then the positions and the movements are secondary. Whereas I made the positions and movements primary and hope the ball would sort itself out. How thoughts? So what's more important in your opinion, path or club face control? Great question. To me, it's individual. Um, it's been my experience that some people are better able. Well, let's back it up further. Some of them, their path is affecting, affected by the face. You know, high handicappers that are up at the top with a cup left wrist and a wide open face, they got to come over the top or it's going to go 100 miles right, okay? And then the lower handicap guys who are taught to drop it in the slot and swing the right field, they're coming too far from the inside and it forces them to shut the face down too much at the bottom. So in the first case, I got to get that guy's face a little more in line. And on the second guy, I got to get his pass a little more in line. So which one affects ball flight more? You, you believe one affects ball flight more? 
Well, obviously, the, the relationship between the two is where you get the ball flight. But again, I think it's very individual, um, very individual on which, which affects it more, um, you know, on, on what the issue, the issue the person is having. Um, I mean, obviously, we know scientifically that the ball starts mostly where the face is pointed, right. but the face could be square to the path and the path could be way right. So now it's a path issue. So, you know, I kind of, you know, take that on a case by case basis. Money, would you agree that everybody's 99% of players are reacting to the face? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, 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 the subconscious knows this ball ain't going straight, but you know, so, to answer your question, where the face is pointed in relation to the target, that is what's important. But sometimes it's the path that's got the face away from the target. So, yeah, it's the club face. People are reacting to where the club face is, both the angle of it in relation to the target and then the pitch of the shaft, you know? So yeah, when it comes right down to it, the face is king, but sometimes it's the path that's creating the, the, the issue at, at the root, root uh, level. So there was plenty of times on the tour where I wasn't playing very well and I needed to get in and I would shut the club face and make my path go to the right just to get something that was compressed and something I knew I could count on, which proves your point right there. See, that, that is something that I never learned. I never learned – and I've gotten and in my advanced years, I've gotten better at it. I never learned how to make do when I was struggling. And that's why I never made it through Q school. If you would have handed me a 30 tournament schedule, I would have been near the lead three or four times and made 10 or 12 cuts. And then 15 or 18 times I'd have been near the bottom of the field or at the bottom of, you know, finishing DFL as, as we like to call it. But when it came to being consistent over three different tournaments over a six week stretch in the fall, I had no chance of lining up my, uh, my good golf game. And when it started going off, I was going to shoot 75 or 76 and there was nothing I could do about it. And I never figured out how to make that work. Well, I think to that point, you know, uh, Tiger offended a bunch of guys when he told everybody that he beat everybody with a C game. But there's a much deeper part of that that people need to grasp. And, and I, I, I was well in tune with this. There was only three or four tournaments where I felt like a year that I was on the money, that I was actually swinging at it good. The rest of the time, I was managing whatever I had. You call it C game, you call it F game, whatever you want to call it. But the mark of a good player and a person that wants to be better, he, he has to understand I can't swing at it good all the time, so I have to learn how to manage what I have. And that's what you just described. I, I mean, you're not going to get a bigger 
bandwagon fan of what you just said than me because that was a skill. When people say, Monty, was it your short game? No, I had a really good short game. Um, was it that you were crooked off the tee? No, when I was, I mean, as far as I hit it, I was very straight off the tee. Well, then what was the problem? I'm like, I had no B, C, D, F game. I, 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 I had no B, C, D game. I had A and I had F and, and not much in between. And I never learned the skill of managing the F game into a C plus. I've gotten, I'm, I'm, I can now, I can now, actually I'm really good at it now because I never have my A game anymore. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that is a skill and, and everybody listening to this, they know a guy at their club in their group that they play with, with an awful golf swing, never hits the ball solid and just like, White slices it into the right side of the fairway, chunks it on the front of the green, and makes a couple of putts and shoots like 74, and he's a horrible golfer. Everybody knows those guys, and those are the guys that that is their skill. They are able to do that better than anybody. You uh, one one last follow up quick quick question. You mentioned short game. Um, we've been talking about the yips on here a lot. We've been talking about how to help guys that have struggled with equipment changes over the years and agronomy changes over the years, going from tighter fairways and less spin. Um, le you know, can't hit it with as much speed. If you could, if you could give the the short game strugglers one or two quick little a, a thirty second tip, what would it be? Oh, it's a real simple one. It has been my experience that the overwhelming number of people, including putting, that are having that yippy problem with their pitching, their chipping, and their putting, it's nearly always excess lower body movement. Um, the number of, when people say, Monty, what's the most common swing fault that you see? People that rotate their hips when they putt. Um, what? I've never even heard of that. And it's, you know, it's common sense. If you take a backstroke and you rotate your hips 30 degrees, all things being equal, that's a giant pull. And so you have to yip it back online. And, and the, the shot that I always point to is four, five, six years ago, Jason Duffner um, missed an 18-inch putt on the 72nd hole at TPC, and it cost him a quarter of a million dollars. And if you watch it, I put it on my Instagram channel. He had like 30 degrees of hip turn to start the downstroke. And then you could see him try and yip the face open with his hands. And it was just a miserable looking. And, and the, 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 the rebuttal that I got was, Monty, he was fifth in the field in strokes gained. And I'm like, proof positive that an elite golfer can make do with something nasty, but under extreme pressure, it failed miserably. Same thing, same thing in chipping, too much lower body? Way too much. Everybody, because look, you know this as well as I do. In a golf swing, there is separation between the hips, thorax, and arms, and club. That separation creates torque, torque creates club end speed and whatnot. But 
when they measure elite um, short gamers, there's no separation. As a matter of fact, Siegmund saw the graphs and even thought the club had moved first. But it's been pretty well documented that there's no separation. And what happens is, if you separate the pelvis like people are told to do, fire the hips, you create that separation, you have two choices. Number one, accelerate and decelerate all the segments as you would in a full swing and hit a nice flush pitch over the green. Or you can shut things down and then everything just goes awry and that's where you get that yippy, scoopy, nasty stuff going on. Wow. Well, I wish somebody had told me a long time ago because, you know, I was working on firing my right hip. And this is interesting that you say that. And uh, stupidly, I thought it was working for everything. So I fired my right hip even in my short game, which caused an overactive lower body, which caused low point issues and, uh, you know, sculling and and, uh, chunking and (laughs) – I mean, I could do that with the best of them. And you know what? This is, I want to interject here. This is where the average golfer, you know, this is an all-time great player talking about this problem. This is not just the problem of the high handicapper. It's a universal problem across all skill levels. And here is what I think one of the big problems for, for the average golfer is. Most of the golf they're exposed to is late on Sunday where you have the best players in the world playing at their best. So all golfers are exposed to are 350-yard drives splitting the fairway, iron shots in there to give me range, hold bunker shots, and 40- and 50-foot putts being bombed in from all directions. And that is what they get the idea of what they're supposed to do is. And they very rarely see the golf channel coverage on Thursday and watching major champions shoot five and six over par and hitting three fairways and missing three foot putts. So that, that inflated view of what good golf is really gets in their psyche and they think every time they miss a shot, it's a disaster and there's something wrong. For those of you you listening at home, Hal and I are sitting here nodding profusely. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, people, they don't understand. I I think, you know, I used to say this and, and Hal said this as well to make par on a hole you have to hit one decent shot and three not terrible shots. You know, I I don't remember exactly the way you worded it, Hal, but you don't have to hit every shot well to make a par. You have to hit one. Well, I've hit, let's just say a par four. I've hit two perfect shots and made five before. Right, right. So, I mean, this game is made up of a lot of different ways. And, you know, if somebody told me that I could have either a perfect golf swing or perfect course management, but I couldn't have both, 
Isn't that an interesting thought right there to, uh, I've got to play with one or the other? What do you mean I've got to play with one or the other? Well, I can tell you, I've seen a lot of really good golf swings that never made it. And then I've seen guys that really had great, great course management, and somehow they made it, even with a bad golf swing. And I'll say one more thing. I just I, I said this last week. I didn't say it on the podcast, but I, I said this to a group of guys. You know, I played quite a bit with Jack Nicklaus, and I played quite a bit with Tiger Woods. Jack Nicklaus was just like all of us. He knew his strengths and he knew his weaknesses. He played into his strengths and away from his weaknesses. The difference between him and Tiger Woods was Tiger Woods did not fear the next shot. He knew he had every shot wherever it was. Wouldn't that be an incredible way to play golf? Okay. I have a great story right on your point. I was watching Tiger play. I don't know, eight, 10 years ago. I don't remember where it was. He gets up on the first hole, hooks it. Gets up on the second hole, hooks it. Gets up on the third hole, hooks it. Hole number four was a dog leg right with OB hugging the left side of the fairway. He sets up at the OB and cuts it in the fairway. And I, that is, to this day, that is the most impressive thing I've ever seen in my life on the golf course. And... I heard him say in the press conference later, they're like, Tiger, you hooked the first three balls and, you know, you hit a cut. He's like, the shot called for a cut. I thought that is impressive. Yeah, he, he didn't fear anything. That's, that's the incredible. And, and when you think about it, he had very few high rounds in his life. He missed very few cuts. And, you know, when you fear nothing, that makes you more aggressive, you think. He yes. had a game plan. He played to his game plan and feared nothing. Yeah. And Amen. I can, speak, I can speak from experience. The reason the, – the big reason why I failed, I stood over every shot afraid that I was going to hit that space ball to the right. And when you put me – if you put me on a golf course where there was OB six inches left of every hole and the fairways were 20 yards wide, I could play that golf course. You put me on a golf course with 60-yard wide fairways and 20 yards right of those 60-yard wide fairways was you're going to lose your golf ball. I could not play that golf course. <laughs> well, Monty, as always, uh, great stuff. Lots of good insight. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, check out rebelliongolf.com for Monty's latest, latest videos his latest uh, video rants on different, different topics and different subjects. Um, check him out on Instagram. He's always got a lot of good stuff. He's always posting, posting a lot. Monty, thanks um, again for all the stuff you've done for us. And, and we've got, uh, for those of you interested, we've got a golf school coming up in October here in Houston where uh, Monty, Hal and I will be, will be teaching a group of golfers. So if you guys are interested listening at home, check, check out Monty's site for more information on that. Monty. As always, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Always good to talk to you. Thanks, Monty. That's pretty interesting. What do you think? Very interesting. You know, he's he always brings that. Uh, 
you know, I always feel like I'm just down to earth talking with him about golf. Yeah. You know, it's like locker room talk. That, that's exactly right. And that always has me open to learn. You had a uh, an interesting take that I'd like to go a little deeper on this this question of if you could if you could build the perfect golf swing or build the perfect course manager, which one would you pick? And and I wanted to interject a little bit and say, can we add can we add mindset to that course manager? Can mm-hmm. we add a, a Hal Sutton mindset or a Raymond Floyd mindset or just a, a Jim Furyk mindset? Guys that just didn't beat themselves and always believed. And and I was sitting there thinking, man, to perform at the highest level, you know, give me the mindset guy, and we can we can get it around with an with an above average or, or average golf swing and, and and play out there for a long time. Well. You know, first of all, I mean, I made the point that, and, and, you know, about Tiger catching a lot of flack because he said, I beat everybody with my C game. Yeah. You know, the truth of the matter is his C game was better than most people's A game. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we didn't like hearing it that way. I was out there when he said that, you know, and it's like, I mean, really? Mm-hmm. But the truth is, all of us didn't take our A game out with us over three or four times a year. And and I think Tiger would even admit to that, you know. His his A game was like like no one else's has ever been. And but he didn't have it all the time. No, we saw it for eight to ten weeks in two thousand when he went on his crazy run and, and won almost everything. Right. But after that it's been three or four times a year where So that's what caused me to say, you know, we're we're managing our game. Yep. We're managing our mindset. We're doing the best we can with what we have that week. Yep. And you know, I was really close to Raymond Floyd. Raymond taught me a lot about golf. And uh I, I think he was one of the best I've ever seen in my life at managing his game. Yep. Uh he didn't have the best golf swing in the world, but he was the toughest mindset that I knew. And he got more done with less, probably, than almost anybody. You always said when he was around the lead, he didn't give it up. When he played well for it, those three or four or five times a year, he knew it and was, was going to take a, you know, try to take the most advantage of it he could. Well, there's been a lot of guys like that. You know, I throw in my good friend Lanny Watkins. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have the best golf swing in the world, but, boy, he was tough. Yeah. I mean, he would take a mental attitude in there that was – I'm going to win at all costs. Yeah. And, you know, it's not always golf swing, even though we're all trying to, you know, to make it better. Make yeah. it better. Make it. We try not to stay perfect, but but at times we're trying to pursue perfection. And yeah. We, we, get, we, get, we get caught up in that. And, I, you know, Monty talked a lot about some of the stuff we've been talking about on here for the last few weeks about, you know, quit being so result-oriented. Right. You know, it's so hard to improve at this game if we're living and dying by each shot and the result of each shot. You just can't. No, you can't. And one of the other things that we talked about on there is let's attack this one thing at a time. Let's not try to do two, you know, don't look at the big picture of how many things you got to fix. Let's, you know, let's break it down into the first thing first, you know. I love it when, you know, it's it's kind of like buying a car. 10 to 15 years ago, buying a car the shopper didn't have as much information as they have today. You know, right. if you're a if you're a, a car salesman, you're at less of an advantage now than you were 10 or 12, 15 years ago, right? right. And it's kind of what we're seeing with golfers. Golfers come in here now, and I laugh when I see it. They'll come in with a book of swing thoughts and issues that they have. Hey, you know, what are you here for? 
man, I've got this, 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 this wrong. And you and I are kind of looking at each other like, okay, this is going to be fun, you know? And a lot of times they're right. A lot of times they have two or three or four little issues, early extension or losing, losing shaft lean or, you know, weight transfers, whatever, over the top, whatever it is. But almost every time it's a simple fix that if they'll start here, a lot of those things will start to take care of themselves. And they're like, man, I knew I was doing this, but I had no, I had no idea how to fix it. And this is a lot simpler than I was expecting. I, I think we talked about this on a podcast the other day, but we had a guy come in and, and was almost like, man, I thought you were going to change way more. I almost feel like I didn't get my money's worth. And it was like, did you want more surgery? Did you want us to yeah. open you up and cut deeper? You know, instead it was like, no, go do this and it, everything will take care of itself. You know, every time I went to somebody when I was playing on the tour, which was often, I went several times a year to see someone because things didn't feel right, you yeah. know, and I needed somebody else's opinion. And, you know, I, I didn't want to preface their thoughts. I wanted them to take a good, honest look at me and tell me what they thought. You know, I, I had some idea of what I was doing wrong. But I've always felt like I was leading the witness if I went in and I did that. And I might not ever get what they truly thought if I did that. So for everybody out there, that might be a really good lesson for you. If you go in to take a lesson and you think you know what is wrong, keep it to yourself. Don't lead the the teacher where you want them to go because they might have gone somewhere completely different that had enormous value to you that you never even knew that's strong and i would say too, quit quit telling instructors what you think is wrong with your swing tell them what what are your misses you're going in there because you're not hitting the ball where you want to what if you had 100 committed shots where's the ball go that's a question we ask all the time if you had a ton of committed shots no history no future each shot is its own separate entity where does it go more left more right it's more left okay now now we're going to look at the motion and say why is it going left not what you think you're doing wrong oh couldn't agree with that more you know so much of the time uh, we do what we call an assessment here where chase and i both set in on it and we've got a series of questions that we ask that tells us a lot and it's really comforting when somebody comes in and they just answer the questions yeah, right. instead of give us a long process of why they think they are answering the question that way that's exactly right a long a laundry list of my right elbow is bad my left wrist is bad my left foot's bad my hips are bad my knees are bad like they're all moving in the bad direction i need to fix them all and it's like how how do you even play golf like what what are we what are we trying to do here yeah i'm i tried to focus on what i did right and not necessarily what i did wrong when i was trying to play yeah you know if i went out there in the morning and Let's say it's Thursday morning. I got a eight o'clock tea time, and all I can think about is, man, yesterday every shot I hit was to the right. Well, guess what I'm going to do? <laughs> every shot is going to start left, you know, and you know I, that's as bad as starting to the right all the time. Yep. And you know we we over correct most of the time. Yep. And and then whenever you feel it in your downswing and you're correcting, you're really overcorrecting. Yep. And I tried not to lead myself that way. Yep. Amen. Um, the last thing that he mentioned, one of the questions we asked about uh, short game and, and putting and, and chipping was, 
overactive lower bodies. Again, how you and I met. Um, and we see it all the time with guys struggling off of tight lies, thinking they got to use their big muscles or their, you know, their legs or their hips to help hit these little delicate pitch shots. And it's just so hard to time that. It is, and that's, you know, I think that's why, as you said, that's why we met. I, I recognize that in other people because that was my problem towards the end of my career. I got my, my hip action too fast for me. And, uh, you know, let, let me just say, Chase will echo this, and I'm not leading him by telling you this. Whatever you work on, it can become your, it, it may be your problem today, or it may be your fix today. It can be your problem tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We can overdo anything. And, you know, there is a, we hate the word perfect, but there is a perfect spot to end up uh, on any one thing. And working to get there, you can overdo it. Yep. So be careful about that. Yeah, we talk a lot about being as neutral as you as you can be. If you're if you like to draw it, that's fine. But you need to be able to hit a fade when you when you have to. Because if if not, you go playing four or five tournaments, it's going to turn into a hook. If you like to hit fades and you keep going and going and going, it's going to move that too far the other direction. And so it's this it's this balancing act that is the holy grail of the golf swing. And it's hard to do. And it's it's never it's it's going to be something that everybody has to work on. It, they just do. I had a, yeah. a good player come in yesterday and said, Chase, I know if I do this one thing, I, I hit it really really good but i can't do it for some reason i just can't do it right now and everything i try it's just a little bit off and it's literally he's got to turn his hips more and he knows it every time he starts to struggle his hip turn gets limited and so here's a he's a mini tour player a plus five handicap and he's literally working on trying to do the same thing because he reverted back to you know old habits so again it's it's this balancing act that we're always trying to ebb and flow between too much and not enough that's why we love the game because it seems elusive. It's, yep. you know, it's so. Um, we feel so good about it when we just grasp it a little bit. We get a little bit better. I mean, how rewarding is that when we finally get a little bit of that? And we want some more of it whenever we get it. That's exactly right. Well, again, Monty's a great friend of ours. And we mentioned on the, you know, with the interview with him, if um, if any of you guys are interested, we got a golf school coming up in October. So check out his website, Rebellion Golf. There's more information on there. It'll be... Um, It'll be Monty, Hal, myself, um, Will, Paul Seller, club fitter and instructor here. We'll all be all be present and helping. So it'll be very uh, a very uh, in in depth look at the golf swing and how to play golf at the highest level from from obviously a 14 time PJ Tour winner and and Monty being a good player and myself and Will all being good players. So it'll be a lot of fun. Check us out again. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining in. Ask us questions. Give us feedback. Let us know how we could be different. We we tw- changed some audio a little bit with on my side today, and it might be a little different. So we're we're tweaking things to get it perfect, and we're still evolving, as Hal likes to say. Love the fact that we're able to do this. We're bringing as much good stuff to you as we can, and and keep expecting more because that's what we're working on. Be the right club today. Yes!